Uh, we moved to uh, Tennessee uh, from Kentucky, which is where I'm from, and um, and so uh, where we're both from, and so um, so what we found was that we needed a washer and dryer. So uh, so we got a washer and dryer, and we go down to Circuit City, and the guy's trying to sell us the extended warranty. He starts in on the extended warranty. Well, I, I hate extended warranty, so I said, no, I'm not interested. He kept on. I said, if you keep on, I'm not going to purchase this washer and dryer because it's either a good quality machine, they're either good quality machines, or they're, they're trash. And if they're good quality machines, I don't need the extended warranty. If they're trash, then I don't need the washer and dryer. I need to get something different. Okay? So the guy said, Okay, but you need to be aware that the normal warranty doesn't cover acts of God. <laughs> what? <laughs> Whoa, dude, are you telling me I can take an insurance policy out on my washer and dryer to prevent God from taking out my washer and dryer? Is that what you're telling me? Well, no, we tell God from taking them out, but then replace them. I said, oh, so God can take out my washer and dryer, but he can't take out the replacements. I mean, if God doesn't want me to have a washer and dryer, what's your insurance policy going to do about that? <laughs> I mean, have you really thought about this? And the guy's going like, uh, 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 you know. And so he shut up about the extended warranty, which was my point for him. And also to make a point that, you know, if I'm trusting in God, or am I trusting in my warranty, I'm not trusting in God. Where is my actual trust? And that's faith is a foundation. And it's the foundation upon everything that we do. It's not tradition. It's our actual trust. It's our faith, our confidence in God. And so, uh, so we saw last week that uh, faith is about confident knowledge. It's about certainty of the facts. <laughs> I had no idea whether or not God wanted me to have a washer and dryer. Uh, we prayed about it, we thought about it, and we economically made a decision. But, you know, I did, you know, did God really care if I had a washer, we had washer and dryer, or whether we went to a laundromat, you know, uh, or something like that? I, I don't know if God had a preference, but uh, it seemed wise. So, you know, so, but there are certain facts that I can rely on. And so those facts we see are actually gained through the Word of God and through our experiences through the Word of God. And so um, I've got 57 years of experiences to share with you. But um, uh, so we're going to run through several scriptures today. I want to uh, I really want to pound these truths home to you because uh, as we grow in our faith, what we what we see is that it's no stronger than the foundation, and the foundation of our faith is really faith itself. It's it's belief. It's knowledge of who God is, and it's not a questioning kind of thing. We question. That's not to that's not to uh, eliminate true faith. True faith involves questioning the disciples follow Jesus. They have confidence in Jesus, but they ask him questions all along the way. How does this make sense? So, um, 
So if I could, I've highlighted some particular things here uh, in 1 Corinthians, and I've got a, a summary of the scriptures and the, and, and the points at the very end. Uh, for those taking notes in case you feel like that we're going too fast. Uh, so if somebody would uh, just read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8 for us here. I want to remind you of your gospel. I preach to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I pass on to you as of your first importance. What was that again? First importance? First importance. This is primary. Paul says as an apostle, this is primary. Okay, keep going. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the the same time, most of whom are still living. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. Do you hear evidence there? I hear evidence. I hear facts. I hear facts that can be substantiated. Okay? So if, if, if you're questioning your belief system, read the book of Luke. Luke provides a very logical basis for belief in Jesus. Read the book of John. John shows us who Jesus is in a very, very spiritual way with specific evidences as he takes us through the story of Jesus' earthly ministry. So if you're if you're struggling with faith, if you've got friends that are questioning, is God real? Then those are places to start. We gotta start with who Jesus is. Um, I had a uh, I had a, a young man that uh, that came to me. His family came to me, and he was uh, he was struggling with uh, same sex attractions, and, uh, and so we started talking, and you know, and so we, you know what the scripture says, and he says, I don't know if I believe in God at this point. So oh well. We, we stop this conversation about homosexual attractions. If you don't know that God is, that he exists, that he loves, that he cares, that he acts, showing you a bunch of scriptures is garbage. That's not, that's not, you know, if you don't believe in God, then trying to use the Bible to prove things and change your behaviors is useless. And that's what the church does sometimes. You know, I mean, I remember, you know, I remember the church I grew up in trying to convince us all we weren't supposed to go. You know, the guys weren't supposed to swim with the girls. Uh, whatever, we weren't supposed to. Uh, whatever, do, do different things. Okay, and, and that was uh, we weren't supposed to have sex because sex could get you diseases and could get you could get the person pregnant and could get. Uh, could get somebody, uh, could ruin your reputation, blah, 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 blah. You're not supposed to have sex. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like uh, a kind of program, you know? And I'm, I'm like, okay. Uh, you know, like my kids at school say, you know, basically they come in and they tell us if you have sex, you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> 
obviously God created this this for marriage and he created this for this intimate relationship so don't talk to me about those other things if if our belief if our belief is in those other things there are ways to prevent those things where's our belief is our belief that God really knows what's best for my relationships or is my belief that I I know the best for my relationship and God just wants to make me happy and God I'm making God in my image rather than me being made in the image of God. So there's the question. Who are we going to believe? Who are we going to trust in? And he says right here, there's evidence. There's proof. We know it. We've got these, we've got these eyewitnesses. So the Bible's full of these eyewitness stories so if you're struggling with whether or not you believe in God we need to begin with eyewitness stories to you I'm assuming for most of you here that that's not what you're struggling with and I want you to see that we do struggle with how do I act on my faith and so that's uh, basically the way that I've designed the lessons uh, let's continue with 2nd Corinthians now 5 7 through 11 somebody read that For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What are we... Yeah, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. <laughs> so, look at what he says here. We live by faith. Everybody lives by faith in something. I, I, I'm pretty sure my mother lives by a pretty significant faith in Sudafed. <laughs> and Tylenol. And Tylenol. Okay, I mean, my brother was on his deathbed, literally, he died. A uh, year and a half ago, uh, my brother was on his deathbed. My dad was in an emergency room at Vanderbilt. My, my brother's on the whatever the sixth floor, seventh floor, something like that. Okay, and, and so dad's down here, and and, and mom, I'm, I'm like, mom, how are you? She says, I'm cold, but if I take a Tylenol, I think I'll be okay. <laughs> you know, she's sick, she's tired. Uh, okay, let me just take a Tylenol. You know. Um, <laughs> So, uh, where do we put our confidence? Where do we put our faith? And that's what he says here. We live by faith, by a confidence. Okay. And it's not because of what we see all the time. There's a knowledge of things beyond what we see. So, I, I kind of like the I kind of like the TV episode series uh, NCIS. <laughs> forensic scientist there she's all about science and proof and all this kind of stuff but she's got these beliefs about supernatural things okay. I don't know, ghosts and uh, spirit world and stuff like that okay. most people have these beliefs that undergird a lot of what they actually think so it's not to say that science and uh, the no uh, our knowledge of the spiritual world are opposing each other is that 
there are two different realms of knowledge. It's kind of like if I if I try to teach, I talk to an English teacher uh, out here in the coffee area this morning. And it's kind of like if I try to teach English using my physics to try to teach English. That doesn't make any sense. Or if you try to use English methods and analysis and stuff in <coughs> physics, that wouldn't make any sense either. Okay, so our knowledge of the spiritual world, our knowledge of what's going on behind the scenes is different than those who really just believe in only the physical. And it is a knowledge, okay? Our goal is to please God. So when I talk to unbelievers, my conversation with them is not about what pleases God. How does that please God? Because that doesn't make any sense to them. My conversation with them, what God has done in my life. Look at what he says here. We know what it, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others, and it's plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to you. It's plain to the people I live around. Uh, Jordan lives right across the street from me, and uh, just across the street from him. Uh, he's, he's kind of catty corner across the street. But just across the street from him is my next door neighbor. And uh, he doesn't go to church anywhere. And a couple of three years ago, he leans over the hedge and he goes, Nick, you're a man of God. What do you think about so-and-so? I find it very interesting because he knows, he sees my faith. It's obvious in the way that I treat my children, in the respect and love that I have for my wife. In fact, we're not yelling at each other and screaming at each other and denigrating each other. In the fact that we uphold each other and we strengthen each other. And, okay, these are things that are evidences to him that I'm a man of God. And the question is, for all of us, is your life actually making it obvious to other people that you're that person? Is it plain to them? That your faith is in God. There are times in my life I confess that it was not plain to the people I lived around that my trust was in God. My trust was in my intellect. My trust was in my manipulating people around me or uh, my trust was in family. Okay? My own strength or my own willpower or whatever. So faith is a confident knowledge. It's based on facts. It's an assurance of unseen things things that are going on behind the scenes and uh, it's also uh, gains from experience in, through God, uh, in God through his divine word okay. so let's see how we treat other people because of this somebody read for us then uh, 2 Corinthians 5 14-21 how we treat others Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that the one died for all he died so those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Regard no one from a worldly point of view. If anyone in Christ is a new creation, the old is gone. God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the, word, the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you 
on Christ's behalf, he reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are compelled by Christ. Christ's love compels me. Right? And it changes how I treat other people. It changes how you treat other people. What does he say here about uh, the worldly point of view? Regard no one from a worldly point of view. Okay? Now, I grew up, I told you, I grew up in a redneck community. If somebody in my redneck community said they were homosexual, then we're going to ridicule them. We're going to criticize them. We're going we're gonna to talk to them about bulls and heifers and things on the farm, right? And what, you can't tell the difference between male and female? What's, what's wrong with you? I mean, we're going we're gonna to denigrate them. We're going to, okay? That's the community that I grew up in. That's a worldly point of view. Right? Worldly point of view says I exercise some kind of something over you, some kind of power over you to try to persuade you to conform to my way of thinking. And we do that in our families and we do that in our communities and we do that among our social groups. That's a worldly point of view, folks. And we need to admit that. I've told people, I, this is, this is, you know, my, uh, Cheryl's right here, so she can prepare this out. But when I stood up in 1986 and I said, I promised before God that I will love, honor, and cherish this woman. I meant every word of that. But I meant it through some lens that said, huh, I'm going to get what I want out of this relationship. Okay? That was my lens. So one day she asked me to wash the dishes. One night she asked me to wash the dishes. I washed all the dishes. She comes in, she says, hey, there's no soap in this water. <laughs> I said, if you want the dishes washed the way you want them washed, you need to wash them. Now <laughs> <laughs> folks, that's not a lot of honoring and cherishing. That's manipulating. That's manipulating. That's the way I grew up. Learn to manipulate other people. You know what? She didn't ask me to hurt them. She did not ask me for another two years to ever wash the dishes. <laughs> Was the worldly way working? Yeah. It worked. It caused me not to have to wash the dishes. That's wrong. I don't need to regard her from a worldly point of view. I need to re regard her. She's, she's a child of God. And somebody that I love and that I swore that I would cherish and honor and that was not honoring okay? and it's not honoring to whatever my homosexual students or my transgenders well, I don't transgender students but I got students that are confused about their gender or uh, gender identity and all that kind of stuff and they want to be called they and okay that didn't fit into my worldview okay again I grew up on a farm where could pretty tell pretty well tell the difference between a bull and a heifer. Okay? I can tell. Okay? So I mean roosters and hens, pretty obvious. Okay. Kittens, maybe not so much so. But anyway. Uh, so uh, we don't regard people from a worldly point of view. Now I look at this person that wants to be called they. 
And I say, this person is confused about something. This person doesn't understand God's natural created order. And the way that I treat that person is very, very different. I want to, but it's because I'm compelled by Christ's love. I'm not compelled by worldly standards. I want that person to see and to know and to experience the love of Christ. To experience the freedom that comes from knowing who you are. We'll talk more about identity later. Okay? But look at what he says here. We are Christ's ambassadors. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. God has plan A, and that is for you to show the world how to be reconciled with him. The world is broken. God is the answer. But his plan A is for you to show the world, you the me, the messengers of, the ambassadors of his story of reconciliation. God has no plan B. God doesn't need a plan B because his disciples will do these things. Okay? And look at what it says here at the very end. In him we become the righteousness of God. This is not a, this is not about you know it's it's not about the fact that uh, oh God I can't have sex until I get married. Okay? It's not about that. It's about the fact that I'm the righteousness of God. Whenever I tell something that's not true, <clears throat> I'm not showing the likeness of God. I'm showing my trust in me, not my trust in God. Whenever I do something, I cheat, I lie, I steal, I commit adultery, whatever. Okay? Look at porn. How is that showing the righteousness of God? His goal is that we become the righteousness of God as witnesses to the world. We all live by faith in something. Somebody read this one for us. This is a short one, so read it quick. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I think you crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained in the law, Christ died for nothing. I cannot gain righteousness from keeping the law. I can't gain righteousness by keeping rules. And that's the way many of us grew up with our church lives. We grew up by rule keeping. I need to make my mom and dad happy. I need to make my Bible school teachers happy. I need to make the preacher happy. Okay? I can't let the world know who I really am. Okay? The problem is that we're focused on what these other people think. And we're focused on rule keeping in some form or fashion rather than on this real righteousness. And notice that it's a righteousness from God. It's a grace of God that he gives us righteousness. And that's how we live in bodily form. That's how I live as a body, as a human body. That's how Christ lived as a human body. Do I, you know, am I Christ? I am Christ to those around me, except I'm a broken vessel. And Christ is constantly having to illustrate my cracks, my flaws, my lack of varnish, polish. Okay? Let's keep going. Colossians 2, 1 through 15. My goal is that they may have the full 
the truth of complete understanding, that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by buying sounding argument. I'd like to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. As you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your life in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Let no one take you captive to hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Yeah. I teach physics. I took, I've got a physics major, I got a math minor, military science minor, teacher certification, all that kind of stuff. Then I got my uh, master's degree in education. I'm a, uh, 30 hours above my master's is in research physics. Here's what I can tell you. A lot of times uh, scientists get, uh, get a rap for, oh, they don't believe in God. Okay? I can tell you that in all of that instruction in academia, I have one counted one professor that claimed he didn't believe in God. By the way, even that guy that, I mean, he claimed he didn't believe in God, but he had gone to church. His daughter was abused by a youth pastor at that church. And then he turned his back on God, okay? So I'm not sure that he wasn't quite a believer. I, I believe he was reacting in pain and anger. Uh, but I only had one only one of all my physics teachers my biology teachers all believed in god now that may not be your case but here's what i did find i found that my philosophy teachers my western civ teachers my western civilization teachers that those people were atheists were claimed to be atheists okay i didn't find that my science teachers were science teachers were enamored by god Wow, what a creation he's made for us. But it's these people that have hollow and deceptive philosophies, and that's but Paul's addressing that with the Greeks. I'm telling you folks, you encounter it. Have y'all encountered it? You encountered it at a university? Okay. I mean, I, I went to a state school. Okay. You know, I mean, I had some, I had some English teacher that I, she wrote some Star Trek novels. Uh, uh, she had, uh, she was like Wiccan, and and I had it's some other guy that I had for English two, English comp two. No, that was English comp one. English, yeah, English comp two. I had some guy and he kept showing us like cans of mushrooms. You know, see how the mushrooms on this advertisement spell sex? Okay, and I'm going like, what? Now write an essay on this. Okay, and he had all these kind of perverted assignments. Everything he gave us all semester was a perverted assignment. I'm just like, what is wrong? You are really hurting, dude. Mushrooms for sex? Yeah, you work on a college campus. So that's when we get mushroom hands. Uh, yeah. So, so here's our deal. We've got these people with these hollow, deceptive philosophies. They argued themselves out of God. You go over, David Young's spoken about this. You go over to Vanderbilt's Divinity School. It's one of the premier divinity schools in the nation, actually. Hardly any of the university professors there get that in that college actually believed in God. 
they just dissected the Bible real well. So uh, their, their lead New Testament scholar is a Jew. And their lead Jewish scholar, Jewish Torah scholar, is a New Testament Christian. Okay? And they think that's wonderful. Right? I mean, the person's actually teaching this is the way that we should believe as Jews, but he's a Christian. Or claims to be. Okay? So, this is hollow. This is deceptive. And you need to recognize it. When they say things that don't mesh with your reality, you have to decide. Where is my reality? What do I believe is real? And that's the, that's the element of faith. Okay? We don't have time to read all of the scriptures, but I just want to catch a couple of things. In Christ, the, full, the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. I believe that. I believe that because I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in the lives of other people. I've seen Christ exert tremendous power. I've seen it through the answer to specific prayer. When I prayed general prayers, I didn't get anything but general answers. But when I started praying specific prayers, I got specific answers. And I see that Christ, who lived in bodily form and is the fullness of God, wants to, wants to show that fullness to the world. And he has brought me. By the way, that's the difference. A lot of people who've gone to church their whole lives don't believe that they're full. We keep asking for blessings, but God has given you blessings. We keep asking for the Holy Spirit, but God's given you the Holy Spirit. He's not holding back. You may be pushing him out. You may be inhibiting him. We're told in Scripture that can happen. But God's already given it to you. So you've already got this inheritance. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He was taken, and he's taken it away, nailed it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities, and made a public spectacle, triumphing over them on the, through the cross. I want you to see that what he says here is, the sins that you struggle with have already been paid for. The sin that you commit tomorrow, already paid for. Christ paid for it. His goal is to make you into the righteousness of God, to give you fullness, to give your bodily form the fullness of God's living in you. Are you a broken vessel? Do you struggle? Yeah. Yeah, we struggle with that. But we need to realize, we need to have confidence in the truths and the promises he's given us. Because otherwise, we go through life saying, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. We're like those, uh, those little animated figures in Monty Python, you know, God of my Savior groveling. You know, the clouds open up. I can't stand your groveling. So I'm, gro I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. There you are again. You know, uh, groveling. Okay. I'm sorry, if you haven't seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you missed a great theological discussion. Might be some immediate <laughs> philosophy in there. Uh, anyway, uh, God's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and into an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until your salvation 
is ready to be revealed at the last time. You don't have, I grew up with a bunch of old people that would ask them if they were saved. They would go, well, I'd like to, I'd like to think that I've lived my life good enough. No, your life's not good enough. Your life is garbage. Your life is garbage. You've lied, you've cheated, you've done all kinds of things. You deserve death. You haven't lived your life good enough to deserve heaven. If that were the case, God wasted Jesus' blood on the cross. Okay? Your life is not good enough. So don't, no, don't go around and say, well, I think my life is too hard. I'd like to think that Jesus covered my sins. Don't you think that Jesus covered my sins? No, I know that Jesus covered my sins. I've got full confidence that Jesus covered my sins. His blood has paid the price for me. I don't have to wonder that. I'm told that in scripture. If I believe scripture, I'm either believing this or I'm calling God a liar. So when we struggle with these things, it's our human nature to be counting on ourselves and our own goodness rather than on God's grace, on God's goodness. When I judge other people in a condemning kind of way and I don't just see their brokenness and think of about how they could be made whole. When I do that, I'm counting on my own power, my own authority, my social structure, my culture. <coughs> These things are wrong. These things stand against God's way. They're regarding people from worldly points of view. We see that all the time. Right? He says here, proven genuineness of your faith. Genuine faith. Though you have seen him, no, so though you've not seen him, I haven't seen Jesus. As far as I know, he's not appeared to me. He said, hey, I'm Jesus. Put your hands here. You know, stick him in a, stick him in a hole. He's not done that for me. Okay? You love him even though you don't know him. Uh, even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the end result of your faith. The end result of my faith. My faith is in Jesus. I'm receiving that. I am going to be saved. I'm saved. God's got me firmly in the grip of his hand. And the devil is not wrestling me from him. Okay? Why? Because I believe in a God who's stronger than Satan. They're not, you know, I used to play this trick. Uh, you know, uh, 10,000 horses can't pull this against the bar. You want to try no, um, okay, yeah, okay, 2,000 horses can't pull that apart, but one jackass can. You know, okay? So, one donkey can or whatever, okay? So, okay, what's the deal? You know, well, it's, you know, it's about my strength. It's about my strength. And you think, oh, you're stronger than me, so you're going to pull it apart, okay? Who's stronger, God or Satan? God or the jackass? Do you really, you know, do you really believe that God's got you in the grip of His hand? If He does, if He really does, and you've got a confidence in that, and you've got a faith in that, then you don't have to worry about Satan pulling you out of God's grip. You don't have to worry about that, okay? So, the salvation of my soul is assured. Oh, sorry. Here's our. Here's our uh, thing. So some of you have, uh, 
How many of you? How many of you read it each day this week? Okay. I confess that I failed to do so. Got one. One. Okay. Can anybody put it to memory? A long time ago, when she was in a discipling group with me. Okay. This is really an important scripture because he says. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own goodness and glory. But through these, he's given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Make every effort to add to your faith. Notice that faith is the very first thing he mentions right here. He mentions these other things as well. We'll be talking about them throughout. And it's an, an increasing measure, ever-increasing measure. In, in 2 Corinthians 5, he says that Moses had to put a veil over his face. Okay, but God is instead in you showing his own spirit and glory in ever-increasing measure. Wow, I love that. I'm so much better than I was before, and it's not because of me, it's because of God. He says here, make every effort. So we see that these things come out by struggles that we have, okay? So here's our here's our uh, summary right here. Faith is a confident knowledge, it's a certainty based on facts, it's an assurance about unseen things, it is gained as we experience God through his divine word, it changes how we treat people, and it is a, that we have a faith that is built by learning dependence on God. Learning dependence on God. I'm going to pray for you before we leave. Father God, uh, it's amazing to us the journey that you've taken to show us yourself. And we ask, Lord, that you continue to reveal yourself and help us to put our full weight with full confidence, Lord, upon you and upon your word uh, that our questions our doubts are about ourselves not about you and uh, when we do doubt you Lord we ask that you would quickly do like you did with Thomas and just show us Lord show us the truth and uh, give us evidence and give us power uh, the power that you've given us Lord help it to manifest itself so that we reconcile the world to you and we allow that uh, we put them in contact with Jesus. Lord, uh, we're in contact with a lot of people throughout the week. And so I pray that you bless every one of these people. That they uh, examine these scriptures and that they examine their own faith. And that they see how much the, their trust is in you. In the name of Jesus, amen. May God go with you.